0: Uh, we have kind of a long chapter today, so we're going we're gonna to jump into it. But before we look at the text, you want to flip to 1 Samuel 25 is where we're going to be. But I have a quick announcement for you that I was supposed to do last week, but I forgot because it's what I do for a living. Uh, a need, and I wonder if it might be interesting to anybody here. Uh, I want you to think more, think about this more through the lens of being like a volunteer than a job, okay? Although we would pay you. But the money's not gonna be the driving issue because there's not that much of it, okay? So it's like you're volunteering for something, and then you find money in your pocket when you're all done, okay? And here's what we need we need just a couple of childcare workers on Sunday nights. When I say childcare, we have this fantastic program that we do every Sunday night for both, for like elementary school kids essentially. And it's super fun, but it's also been really hard to have enough supervision to care for these kids. Uh, during that hour, and because of our new policies that we are implementing to make sure that all the children are safe all the time, it's harder for us to count like a 16-year-old as a worker, um, because a 16-year-old is technically more of a child than an adult, and so as we try to keep our ratios right to be legal and safe so that our kids are are well cared for, we just need more full-on grown-ups to be participating in that work. And so the way that it works is on Sunday nights, we need people downstairs from four forty-five to six forty-five. That's two hours on Sunday nights. Two hours a night on a Sunday night to play with kids. It's not just play, it's like it's like biblical play, right? We're 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 teaching the children, we're helping the children. We're loving these kids. While they're down there, a lot of the time their parents are upstairs going through their life groups. And we want those life groups to thrive in order for the adults to come, the parents to be there. We need to know that the children are safe. They want to know their children are being instructed and discipled in the Lord. And so we just need a couple more people that would be willing to do that. If you wanted to do it, and again, money is not the driver, but the pay is $25 a night. Okay, so you're working for 25 bucks for two hours. So if you do it every week, if you if you do that four weeks a year, I mean, you know, four weeks of the month, it's like 100 bucks for like a date. So here's what ends up happening is that you love these kids, you're disciplining these kids, you're training these kids on a Sunday night. If you're not already doing something from 4:45 to 6:45 on a Sunday night, you come in and love these kids, and then you have a date night, a really scored-up, sweet 100 bucks in your pocket a month, date night to go do something fun with. Okay. If that is interesting to you, and I hope that it is, because we really want to love our children well, then I would, you could just send, the easiest thing probably to send me a note, okay? Tim at chsroanoak.com. Tim at chsroanoke.com, And I would love, love, love to hear you and then be able to go back to Darcy and Beth Ann, who run that and say, hey, great news. Here's two or three people that are interested in, in doing that. So Sunday nights, 445 to 645, we'd be super grateful for your help. All right, good enough. 1 Samuel 25, woo! This is a long, long chapter. So, normally what we do is we read it and talk about it. We're going to kind of summarize some of it and read some of it. Now, if you haven't already been in the habit of doing this, can you guess what chapter we're going to study next week? 1 Samuel 26. You guys are so good. Like that whole sequential chapter thing is just kind of our guiding principle. So it might be that you have already read chapter 25 in anticipation of this day, or it might be that you haven't. But I would really encourage you to do so. You could even read like the whole chapter a couple times. I mean the whole, like the rest of 1 Samuel a couple times and kind of be ready to where we're going going to go. So for those of you that already figured that out and your predictive skills are strong, what's going down in 1 Samuel 25? Did you read it? Do you know what's going on? You can even glance at it right now. What's the, what's, what episode is this? David and Abigail. That's not a bad summary. Okay, So David and Abigail. But before it's David and Abigail, it's David and who? Nabal, right? Okay, so here's the deal. David and his men have been essentially camping out where this guy named Nabal has been pasturing his flocks. And I can't remember. Are they sheep? I don't even remember. I think it's sheep, but something. Camels, goats, who knows, okay? Yeah, 1,000 goats, 3,000 sheep. There's a ton of animals, right? And David and his men have basically been camping out there, serving to protect this guy's flocks. Now, it's not, we don't want to overstate this. That's not their primary motive. They just happen to be there. But while they're there, they're going to they're scare off all the bad guys. They're going to scare off the wolves. And then when the, when the time comes for the sheep to be sheared, David thinks like, well, a little bit of a tip would be appropriate, okay? Now, this would be the sort of a thing, whenever you read the Bible, you always got to be mindful that there are continuities and discontinuities between their life and your life. There are things about the human condition that are the same today, a thousand years in the future... 5,000 years in the past, right? Just things being a human is just normal continuities, very much like us. And there are discontinuities. They didn't have cell phones, right? It's just something they would have no concept to that. And you probably don't have a lot of ag- agrarian culture to you. I mean, maybe some of you do, but maybe not quite like this. So when you read the story, you might be like, well, it w- was it reasonable for David to expect to get paid for kind of taking care of this guy's stuff when he w- he'd never got – they didn't have a contract. Right? There was no official assignment. And I think the answer to that is yes. If it seems curious to you, that's just because you didn't live in 2000 BC or 1000 BC Palestine. So why would you know that? But we can take it from the text if that's the case. Okay. So this whole thing is playing out, and uh, when David and the men, when they find out that it's time to shear the sheep and it's essentially time to get paid, David goes with a message, or David sends his men with a message. Take a look and just kind of pull out of here, out of chapter 25, verses 1 to 7. There's kind of three parts to their message. What are they? And we can just, we'll kind of pull it out together. What are the three parts of the message that David's men have for Nabal's guys? And we could take them as you go. What do you see there? They're pulling out of it.
1: He starts off with the offering of peace.
0: Yes, it's a greeting, right? It's a greeting, it's a blessing. Hey, long life, good health, right? Now, if you happen to know the end of the story, long life. Good health. This is not going to come to pass, right? And, and, and I think that part of the irony of the story is David's initial, hey, man, I hope you're I hope you live, I hope you're healthy and you live for a long, long time. Slash, you're going to be dead in less than a week, okay? But that's, where, that's, where, that's the first thing. What's the second thing? We protected your shepherds. That's right. We did not mistreat your people. Nothing was missing. You have been well protected, well provided for, well cared for. Very good. And then... What's the climax? What's the third point?
1: It's the,
0: it's, the, it's the bellhop with his hand out, right? It's like, and so what do we get, right? Here's the response that that, that, that earns, okay? Look at 25.9. It says, when David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name, and then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants. In verse 10. Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. By the way, isn't it funny to hear 3,000 years ago, people were using the phrase these days. Like, things have gotten really bad in 2020. You know, that? not that a crazy thing? Like, it was 3,000 years ago, and he's like, man, it's not not like the good old days. (laughs) These days, people are breaking away, right? He said, why should I take my bread and water and the meat that I've slaughtered for my shears and give it to the men coming from who knows where. Okay? Now, based on what you've seen in David so far, what do you think his response will be to this? Not good. Okay. Not good. We have, an, we have one option of not good. What have we seen? What have we seen in David when he is insulted, attacked, maligned, and, and they try to kill him? How does he, how does he respond to that every time? God, What's that? God will defend me, right? He never returns unkindness with unkindness. He never throws the spear back at Saul. In every instance, every time Saul has pulled something on him, David always just just kind of drinks it, takes it, says, "Far be it for me to lay my hand on the Lord's anointed." What's he going to do here?
1: Oh, that one.
0: Put on your swords. Now, okay, this is what you've got to see. This is very different from David, how David has always been. In verse 12, David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. And David said to his men, put on your swords. So they put on their swords and David put on his. And about 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. Okay, that's very different. Very, very, we, we, as you're reading the story, you should see like, oh, this is, this is a new side of David, right? It's not so much of a new, this has always been here, this has always been beneath the service, but something has been staying his hand, and that is now removed. John, did you want to speak to that?
1: Yeah, the difference here is that Saul was the Lord's
0: anointed. This is it. This is it. The difference is that Saul was the Lord's David's nature, if you punch David, he is going to punch you back, unless you are the Lord's anointed. And so all of the patience and all of the long-sufferingness and all of the willingness to take the hit and to not return it, that's not his normal. David's a fighter. He's a man of war. That's his normal mode of being. But Saul is the king. And if Yahweh wants uh, Saul on the throne, then David's take is like, who am I? Who am I to speak against that? Nabal is not under any such protection. And so Nabal is about to get his head cut off. 400 men are about to descend on him. And make, and everything's going to go very, very badly for him. You hear the difference? You see, I was—he's in a different context. So, he responds a little bit different. And the servants very quickly realize this is bad. We are sheep shearers. We are not men of war. And whatever the number count is, like David, David's friends are a, are a rowdy bunch, right? Do you remember this? The people that he gathers around him are. Not a peace loving man. They're, they're constantly like, David, let's kill this guy. David, let's kill this guy. Finally, David's like, put on your swords. And you got to think, they're like, finally, you know? And now we get to go get our hands dirty. And so, and so they're off, right? Make sense? Okay, so look at verse 14. One of the servants told Nabal's wife, Abigail, David's mess- David sent messengers from the desert to give our masters greeting, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men, David's men, we very good to us. They didn't mistreat us. And the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day, there were a wall around us all the time. We were herding our sheep near them. Think it over. See what you can do. Because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household, i.e., over me. Right? The servants. Maybe the servants were concerned about what's good for Nabal. But I suspect they were concerned about what's good for them. <laughs> He's such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Could look at that paragraph, paragraph again. What is the point? Like in the narrative, right? Remember, the author of 1 Samuel, he's got a message. He's using a story to convey something. What do you think the point of that paragraph is? What's the takeaway as we're trying to understand the life of David? DFP. It's kind of like an independent confirmation. Yes. Of what? Of his character. Yes. This is exactly right, Dan. You thank you very much. It is a, it is a, this guy is not on the payroll. He has no motive to like, you know, speak well of David, and yet he speaks well of David. This is exactly what Dan says. This, the purpose of this paragraph is to be like, no, seriously, you guys, David is a really, really, he is a good man. He has done good things. He behaves well. He treats people well. Um, They've done it all. They've done everything right. He's not some scandalous guy. It is a, it is a vouching of David's character in case you haven't been convinced by some of the, what, what may have felt like propaganda more praise for David. And then, now finally, oh, Kelly Sue.
1: Oh, well, I was just going to say you also hear another echo of uh, Naples support. Yes. The opening paragraph is he's meaning, he's certainly, then you hear that he's a fool. Well, then you hear that nobody can talk to him. Then after he rejects that haughty rejection,
0: and then Abigail sees a fool. Yes. Throughout the whole narrative, Nothing ever is good. Nothing good is ever said about Nabal. He's a fool. His name literally means fool. Uh, what does what does fool connote to you? What is that? If somebody is a fool, what does that mean? What is it?
1: The opposite of wise.
0: Okay, so the opposite of wise is good. So what, what? So that's interesting. So what is the paradigm from wise to foolish? What are we talking about here? Unteachable, cannot listen, will not hear. Tendency toward self-destruction. Tendency towards self-destruction. Is it? synonymous with being stupid are fools stupid okay interesting you guys can fight so yes or no like sometimes is is foolish more than stupid or less than stupid okay willful
1: like yeah are seeking it's almost like the opposite where they're seeking conflict seeking strife seeking you know in whatever motivation
0: is pulling them that way. Good. Seeking conflict, seeking strife. Willful oh. stupidness. Okay, so so Stuart's going to say willful stupidness. Kelly?
1: Uh, uh,
0: uh, self-orientation. They
1: consult themselves. Okay, self-oriented.
0: <laughs> yes, okay, good. And I'm sorry. No, no, I love this. Go. Can I give away the end of the
1: story? Uh, sure. So he's... He's confronted by David's men in the desert saying, uh, give us give us this space. And he's like, well, who are you? Who are you? We don't know you. He's the son of Jesse. This is the
0: king. Yes.
1: Abigail recognizes him as the king. And then at the end of the story, Nabal's throwing a bank before himself and he's acting like a king. Yes. It's like, he's foolish. He's, he's, he's assuming he's the king. He makes the decisions. He's the, he's the self-referential.
0: Yes. Okay. Oh, okay. So I'm going to try to repeat some of that. So. So here what you see, in, in, there's different aspects of, of foolishness, and, and we'll, we'll try to package it up tightly before we move on, but he is self-referential, self-oriented. He's blind. In this particular case, he is blind to see the kingship of David, which is right before him, but has a really clear vision of his own kingship, right? He's going to treat himself like a king, right? Very good. Okay, Lily, and then back to Catherine. I want to get you guys. think she has a context
1: of the Proverbs. the fool is the one who doesn't fear the Lord. So I feel like...
0: Yes, very much. And so Proverbs, of course, has tons to say about wisdom and folly. And the essence of wisdom, the beginning of, complete complete this phrase, the beginning of wisdom is the the fear of the Lord. Well, it suggests that the beginning of foolishness is a refusal to fear, a refusal to see the Lord. Catherine?
1: I was going to say that um, foolishness is very ingrained, and stupidity, stupid, is what we all <clears throat> do it's a temporary thing, being stupid, like you
0: know. That would be, there. Are, I have stupidnesses that persist, but, <laughs> but I do like it when they when they fade away. That is helpful to me too. Yeah. Cool, God says don't call
1: me fool. What did He say? Um, don't call somebody a fool.
0: Yeah, Jesus says that, right? In the yeah, yeah. We'd be careful throwing that around. So it seems like folly, you guys, if I summarize all your comments, folly seems to comprise some sense of knowledge or understanding. But there's also a component of the moral and what is good. It's not merely that I don't understand. It's that I don't want to understand. It's not merely that that I'm stupid, but it's that I'm choosing to be evil. And so Nabal is this fool. He lives in this place of like, he should know better, but he doesn't want to know better. And he's content to be referring to whatever he happens to want in that particular moment. Okay, so navel's that's a, it's a warning for us because truthfully, we do foolish things all the time, right? Not that I would call you a fool and be in danger of hellfire or anything, but it just seems that we are foolish. Okay, Chris? Um, what is the ideas, would you say that the ideas we're talking about with
1: like wisdom versus foolishness, does that play into um, what we
0: would talk about with humility versus? Uh, yeah, okay. So Chris' question is, could we, could we kind of line up wisdom on the one side and foolishness on the other? Does that relate in some way to humility and to pride? And I think it absolutely does. Those, I guess, would be the, you know, the titles. Yes. Humility and pride. Yeah. It is, we could say, I think, without fear of, you know, being mistaken in it this, it is wise to be humble. It is foolish to be arrogant. And we could also say that the arrogant are given to folly and that the humble are given to wisdom. I think, I think those things line up beautifully. Suzanne, and then we're going to keep going.
1: Um, Well, it's about what this guy says. It confirms that David is not wrong in saying, hey, you owe us
0: something. That's right. David is absolutely in the right culture. This is appropriate. All of his men see it. His wife sees it. Everybody sees it except him. Right? And that's a scary thing. You've probably, and it is possible, it is possible to be the one guy that's right and everybody's wrong. Right? We do not determine truth by, by by the crowd. But we should be suspicious if everybody in the world disagrees with me. I should be suspicious that maybe I'm wrong, right? And Nabal didn't seem to have that suspicion, right? So that's maybe, maybe the heart of it. Okay, so enter the hero of the story. This is Abigail. Abigail's his wife. Abigail means, what does Abigail mean? Do you know? Ab, you hear Abba, Abby, Yeah, the father's joy, daddy's delight, those sorts of things. Abigail lost no time. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep, five sias of roasted grain, whatever that means, bunch of cakes and raisins, all this other stuff. As she goes to the service says, send the food ahead, but she doesn't tell her husband, okay? Abigail is going to be the hero of this story. She's going to be the one who's going to fix everything. We're going to keep an eye on Abigail. She is described with two adjectives in this book, in this chapter. We skipped it earlier, but what, is, what do you know about Abigail? Discerning. Discerning and beautiful, intelligent and a smoke show, okay? This is <laughs> Abigail. And she's an able, and she's married to this loser, so you've got to wonder how that came about. And... Abigail is going to come up, uh, and when, when she does, as she, as she comes riding in, David shows up, and he sees all this food. And Look at what David says here, 25. In verse 21, chapter 25, verse 21, David had just said, it's been useless, all of my watching over this fellow's property in the desert so that nothing of his was missing. He's paid me back evil for good. May God, be, may, may God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. Now, footnote there, that verse 25 is terribly translated in the NIV. With well, apologies to my favorite translation, they botched that. We'll come to that in a second. But well, what is David's message here? What is he, what is he f- you know, fulminating on? What is he seeing? It's a waste of his time, right? He's paying back evil for good and the punchline in verse 22. What's the punchline in 22? I'm going to kill him. Okay. Now, anybody that doesn't have the NIV, give me verse 22 cuz it's ESV is going to get this right. How do you have somebody have verse 22? You got it? Okay, that's probably going to be right as well. Give us verse 22, Gary.
1: May God do so to the enemies of David and more also, if by morning I leave as much as one male of any who belong to
0: him. Okay, that was right. So, what David is saying is I'm going to kill him, and if I don't, may God kill him. That's what he's saying. The NIV says, I'm going to kill him, and if I don't, may God kill me. And that's not what, that's not what David said, okay? So, so there is this vow, like, so help me. And I was like, so help me, God. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to die if I don't. And that's not what he said. He's like, if I don't kill him, let God kill him. And the reason that's important, well, we'll see why that gets important as we go. But David makes a vow, and Abigail is going to make him step down from it, Okay? when he does, he's going to do so consistently with his own words as properly rendered in NAS or the ESV, but not in the NIV, okay? Can I do the ESV
1: one more time?
0: Yeah, sure, Gary, one more time, bro. Verse 22.
1: May God do so to the enemies of David and more also, if by morning I leave as what, as much as one male of any who belong to him.
0: Got it? So may God do it not to David, but may God do it to the enemies of David is what he's saying. Okay. There's the hand. Jan- John?
1: Yeah, King, uh, King James translates this verse. Yeah.
0: How do they, you, you want to read it to us? I don't have
1: King James. Oh, it's, it, uh, yeah, it's more explicit
0: about one <coughs> Uh Oh, is that right? More explicit? Oh, is it more, a little more violent? And it's, I, I, have, I have not seen that. King James Version
1: says, if I leave to uh,
0: the fallen ones, Oh, is this that? T- I've heard of that verse. That's it. Okay, go ahead. Let's share it.
1: King James, and so, so and more also do, do God unto the enemies of David if I leave of all that pertain to him by the morning light any that pisseth against the law. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. I've I I have heard that there was a verse somewhere in the King James Bible that says he that pisseth we have found it. So, so, <laughs> praise God. I think it means that dudes are supposed to peace standing up, but I'm not, I don't, I don't, I don't know. That's, I, I, I've heard of that, like, almost in, like, the lore category, but I've never noticed it, because I don't read King James. That's really funny. Okay, so, David wants to kill this guy, and Abigail is just showing up with a pile of food, like just food and food and food and food and food to kind of like take the edge off before the conversation goes. This is kind of good advice. If somebody's mad at you, give them some food and then make your case, right? So what happens here? This is Abigail. This is, tell me if you know, this is kind of a long passage. Uh, I'm going to read this. What is this? This passage right here, 25, 23 to, I don't know what the end of it is, 31, what is the claim to fame of this passage? Okay, this, this is a superlative. This is a, if this was a high school student, this would get what superlative, okay? Here, here's how it goes. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey, bowed down before David with a face to the ground. and She fell at his feet and said, my Lord, let the blame be on me alone. Please let your servant speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. May my Lord pay no attention to that wicked man, Nabal. He's just like his name. His name is fool and folly goes with him. But as for me, your servant, I did not see the men that my master sent. Right, Kelly, just what you're saying. Just more language on Nabal just being a loser. Verse 26, now, since the Lord, listen to her rationale, since the Lord has kept you, my master, from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, may your enemies and all who intend to harm my master be like Nabal. Okay, what is she saying there in verse 26? She has a peculiar insight here. Now, since the Lord has kept you, my master, from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, as surely as the Lord lives, may your enemies and all who intend to harm my master be like Nabal. What is she saying?
1: She's playing back to his character of not doing the bloodshed. That's almost like she's predicting. It.
0: Yes, not doing what bloodshed?
1: Taking revenge
0: against Nabal. I, I think she's seeing beyond that or before that.
1: Some days... She's also, she's pretty prophetic. Throughout.
0: She is prophetic, but I think I don't think she's talking about her husband. Lily? She's not doing the
1: same thing as David. She, David she's almost a
0: Kelly. Yes. He says
1: that he's going to die. She's speaking the same word against David, That enemies that David himself.
0: Also... She definitely is, yes. Something else here still that just wants you guys to catch her. Catch. Yeah, Kelly, go please. She's
1: remarking on God's sovereignty in it, that God was ordaining it, that and I think there's a reminder of what happened the recent too, because felt
0: like Yes, okay, yes, but but where has David failed to avenge himself over and over and over again with Saul? I think what she's saying is, you know what? Time after time after time, you have stayed your hand. You have not put on your sword, and he, and, and God will honor that. I don't know exactly how she knows what the rumors are like. Maybe, maybe everybody figured out David is perfectly capable of killing Saul. Maybe the cut-in-the-corner-of-the-robe-off story has kind of leaked out. Or maybe they just know, without those particulars, that David has killed his you know tens of thousands. And he could kill Saul if he wanted to, but he hasn't. And I think she's tapping into this. His good character previously displaces you. You've done it so well here. Wouldn't it be a shame for you to step away from that? You have succeeded Shem. Good to see you. Carla, everybody's here. What did you guys even get in the room? It's good to see you guys. Right. So... All of these, all all of your goodness, you've done it, you've done it well. Don't blow it now, David. You could you could you could do it here. God has honored that. He will honor this. She is again speaking back, just like the other, like the men were, she's speaking to his good character and calling him to continue to be, to live at the height of excellence that he was. Don't stop now. Okay? Stuart?
1: I mean, just also too, at 24, she fell at his feet and said, On on alone, on me alone be the guilt. Isn't that like
0: Right. Absolutely. Abigail's a hero of this story, and she is absolutely saying, may the evil that has been done fall upon me instead. It is an atoning action, a substitutionary moment for sure. Okay, so let's keep going. So she's saying, listen, guy, like you've done it right, don't blow it now. Verse 27, "...let this gift which your servant has brought to my master be given to the men who follow you. Forgive your servant's offense, for the Lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my master." Lily, now she's super prophetic, right? Like, you will be We keep hearing this over and over and again. Saul says it. Jonathan says it. Abigail is saying it. You will be king. Surely the Lord will make a lasting dynasty for my master because he fights the Lord's battles. Let no wrongdoing be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, i.e., she knows the Saul story, the life of my master will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. God protects you from Saul. He's going to protect you all the way to the throne. Stay the course. Don't back down because you're in a bad mood because somebody didn't give you a raisin cake. Here's a raisin cake, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) But the lives of your enemies, i.e. my husband, he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. Isn't that an interesting little illustration to use with somebody? Who's the most famous sling thrower and all of history. That's interesting. My idiot husband will be like a rock in your sling. Okay. When the Lord has done for my master every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him leader over Israel, my master will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless blood, needless bloodshed, or of having avenged himself. If her speech feels awkward, it's because, do you know why her speech feels awkward? Because she calls him my master, my she is bad at pronouns. She never uses pronouns. And when the Lord has brought my master success, remember, I think it's like twelve times, fourteen times. Abigail calls him my master, my master, my master, my lord. It's king language. She is saying, "You are, you're going to be the king, but you're already mine." It's pretty, ex- pretty extraordinary. You would not appreciate it if your wife was saying that to some other man. Okay. <laughs> Like, that would be super annoying, okay? What's the claim to fame of this tra- of, that, of that passage? Do you know what that is? What is it?
1: Longest this, uh, dialogue by a woman.
0: That's exactly right. Longest speech by a woman in the Old Testament is Abigail's speech right there, okay? And here it is. And that, it's interesting, the longest speech by a woman in the Old Testament is an attestation to the certainty of David's kingship, to the certainty of David's righteousness, but it is a, it's a rebuke. She's saying, you are the king. You are the great one. You are going to reign over all things. However, let me tell you what you need to do right now. Right? It's a bold move. She is she's coming from a position of weakness. Right? She is the servant in this relationship. And yet she is saying, don't screw this up, David. It's an enormous amount of courage from a position of weakness to call him to a higher standard, to call him, frankly, to his own standard. And it works. It works beautifully. She encourages David to choose the path of peace, and he takes it, takes the rebuke. He admits that he's wrong, that he was doing something rash, and he humbles himself. And again, you guys, when we watch, what are David's two biggest issues that are kind of like going to mess up his life? Lust and anger. Right now, he's super angry. He's mad. He's, literally, he's got 400 men putting on their swords to go kill this guy, Anger is in full effect, and she is able to like dissipate it. It's pretty amazing. Catherine?
1: Here's another good example of how God uses women, and like women weren't supposed to do that, what she
0: did. That's right.
1: Culturally, I mean, culturally, you just don't
0: do that. That's right. But she saw her
1: responsibility, and so she's extremely brave. And um, it, he just shows the
0: importance of women all through the Bible. He uplifts them up. I think, that's, I think that's absolutely one of the things we are to take from this story is to see that Abigail, who is not in a position of influence or power, nevertheless, from the position that she has and the wisdom that she has, she goes in and she's going to change the whole thing, which is going to be good for her, her household. Not good for Nabal, but we'll see that in a second. Good for her household, right, and good for God's eternal purposes. Right, as it contributes to David's rise to the, rise to the throne. Okay? So take a look. Verse 32. At David says to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. That's high praise. right? You're not functioning on your own. You're not independently doing this. You are God's agent. Sometimes God speaks directly to David. But today he's going to speak to David through the mouthpiece of Abigail. May you be blessed for your good judgment. She had the judgment that he didn't have. You ever notice your judgment fail when you get angry? Right? She had good judgment enough to overcome his. To keep him from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with his own hands. 30 seconds ago, avenging himself with his own hands seemed like a brilliant idea to him. And now something changed and it doesn't seem that way anymore. So otherwise, he said, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Do you believe him? That's yeah. true. That's not hyperbole. He's like, it would have been blood everywhere. And then David accepted from her hand what she had brought to him and said, go home in peace. I've heard your words and granted your request. Okay. Um, do you anybody have ESV on that?
1: Yeah, the ESV really highlights the blessings, the three
0: blessings. That's right. Responses. Listen, this is the NIV totally obscures this. Hear the hear this tripartite thing going on. Said
1: to Abigail, "Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet you. Blessed be your discretion and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from avenging myself with my
0: own." That's right. That's a better that's a more apt translation. It's I think a little bit prettier than the way NIV tries to smooth things out, but sometimes it it loses stuff. David is speaking blessings, right, It's on her, on her judgment, on, the, on what God has done. And it's good news. Now, what we're about to enter into is something prophetic. Okay, this whole story. Abigail has made a prophecy of what is going to happen. But this whole event is going to foreshadow something. Okay, it's not hard. It's not at all hard to, for us to look and say, Saul is doing evil to David, and he takes it and doesn't avenge himself. Nabal is trying to be evil to David, but he takes it and doesn't avenge himself. What the author of this thing wants you to learn to do, wants you to see this. Okay, let's keep, maybe there's tension. The Nabal story is a microcosm of the Saul story, it's a preview of what's to come. And so, what's about to happen to Nabal is going to happen to Saul. Does this make sense? It is meant, you're supposed to watch this story, and you're like, man, David could kill this guy. It would be reasonable for him to do so, but he's gonna stay his hand and entrust himself to the Lord. I wonder how it's going to work out. And then once we get that answer to how that works out, our job is to take that and then apply that to the broader narrative that we're following as well. Cool? See how the foreshadow is going to play? So what's going to happen? Verse 36. When Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet. Kelly, what kind of banquet? That's right. A banquet like that of a king. Who's the real king? It's David, but he is in, he's placing himself in the role of king. And of course he does. He's got 3,000 sheep and like 1,000, what did they say, goats. Like, he's wealthy. Yeah. That's right. It would, have, it would have cost him nothing to have paid for these men. But instead, he's just throwing himself a, a king party. He was in high spirits and very drunk. So she told him nothing until daybreak. Also, good tip, right? Yeah. Just, just Smart. And then in the morning when, when Nabal was sober and perhaps hungover, his wife told him all these things and his heart failed him and he became like a stone. About 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. I don't know what that means technically. Who are the physicians? His heart failed and became like a stone. they have a stroke? they have a heart attack? What is going on? Something. 10 days later, he is dead. So what happened? What is it? He has a seizure and... Seizure, and does it say that he also died? Verse thirty-eight. Okay, so thirty-seven, he has a seizure and was paralyzed. That would make sense with became like a stone, meaning he couldn't move anymore. That makes sense. And then at thirty-eight, you've got that he's dead. Yeah. Okay. Now, remember the foreshadowing. What happens when David doesn't lay a hand on his enemy and just entrust himself to the Lord? God takes care of it. it. This is go back to that thing that the NIV botched earlier on, where if I don't kill him. May the Lord do so. That's exactly what comes to pass. Once again, the imprecatory psalms allow us to be peaceful. I do not need to be the agent of God's wrath. I do not need to be the avenger. Sometimes I want to be, but we don't get to be. And David's like, all right, if I don't avenge myself, the Lord's going to be like, well, I guess I better do it. And that's what he does here. So the Lord avenges himself against Nabal. And when David hears that that he's dead, he says... Praise be to the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his head. David now very clearly thinks that the work that he thought was right and righteous is wrong. It would have been wrong. He has kept me from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. When you're angry, everything feels righteous. (laughs) And then later on, you're like, ah, oh, that would have not been the right play. And that's what happens for David, okay? And when David sees that it, sees it, he's gone, it's all, it's all over. And then, to add insult to injury, what's the last thing that's going to happen to Nabal? Takes, <laughs> Takes his wife. And by the way, not only is David going to... This guy could have gotten out of this for a raisin cake, okay? He is going to die, and his wife is going to be in the arms of David. Oh, and by the way, when David takes Abigail as his wife, what does Abigail bring with her? Stop. Stop. All of it. David's inheriting the entire estate. He, I'm telling you, he could have gotten out of this for a nickel. And he's going to lose his life and his wife and his estate. And David never needed to raise a finger. Okay. What's that? I mean, how foolish. Like, my neighbor, I mean, it could have been all yours. You could have kept it. You could have repented. You could have grown in wisdom and kindness. But instead, you're just surly and stupid and wicked. And so you lose absolutely everything. And then David, David's pathway to being king is accelerated. And we get one more, one more click on this whole journey. Okay? Yeah, Hannah? What was the superlative that you would give out? Um, well, what, what you mean, what, oh, in this paragraph, just the, it's the longest speech of any woman in the Old Testament. That's what I meant. So, I'm sorry. So, not her, but this, this passage, the, the superlative of the passage, not of Abigail, is this is the longest speech of a woman. And it is her, it is, the, it is the feminine role of leadership, right? Massive influence, changing the direction, changing the course of this thing through, not through domination and power, but through persuasion and kindness and Generosity and beauty, and she wins the game, and she's the hero of the story. Yeah, Catherine.
1: It seems like Solomon, you know, warned against all kinds of stuff with riches and
0: yes, and multiple wives. <laughs> yeah. okay. I mean, so he knows what it's just. You might as well not live this way because
1: it's but. Um, but you know, we see that through so many of the or just was it nebuchadnezzar i don't remember um just they, they just get drunk and in Dan, when daniel you know the, it was so common for them to just drink for days and they just get drunk on power and and god has to deal with
0: them and that's been going on forever and ever right and that, and that you're right i mean the, the warnings are given to the king even even before Solomon, in Deuteronomy, it says the kings must not have a lot of money and a lot of horses and a lot of wives. And then, of course, they go on to have as much money and horses and wives as they can have, right? And again, David, this is, by the way, don't, this is David, depending on how you count it, this is either David's second or third wife, okay? Michael, he kind of gets Michael and then Saul takes Michael away, and that's going to be some weird stuff coming down the road with that. But David's going to have, you, you see in this story, it's lust and anger, okay? The anger, he kind of overcomes that. But remember, Abigail's beautiful. David's going to win Abigail, and he's, going to, he's building a harem. And this is what is going to lead to his downfall, right? It is going, like, he is the picture of the Messiah, but he is not going to be the Messiah. And in fact, in our precious minute left, here's what I want you to do. Just in your tables, just take a second. We always want to try to look, what's happening here? What is the author trying to teach us, not merely about David, but about the Messiah to whom David points? Okay? How does this story... Suggest or anticipate or foreshadow or frame in our minds how we should think about Messiah. Okay, just take like one minute and see what you can tease out, and then we'll talk about it and then we'll be done. Okay. <laughs> to hear what you came up with how does this when you look at this story what do you think the holy spirit meant for us to take away as he's building categories for messiah in this and i'll give to the front of the line anybody that hasn't already spoken today if you want to Messes <laughs> messiah anything you, you struck here yes. and maybe it's not about jesus maybe i'm just telling, making this up yeah eric
1: David's total faith in God for the results, just like Jesus' total faith and reliance in God for the
0: results. Okay. And Good.
1: Just David, of course, being more flawed, would not always, but and had to catch himself and remind himself, but it was that total faith and reliance on the Spirit.
0: Okay. And I think that is the center of it, Eric. That David is completely reliant on the Lord. Even to suffer whatever he has to suffer, believing that at the end of the day, God is going to be his provision. Peter, 1 Peter captures this idea. Look, look at this. I just looked this up while you guys were thinking. 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, when, he, when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, and here's the key line, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, right? That what, what we're seeing David do, and, he, and he's been doing a really good job, and then he kind of falters, and then Abigail's like, no, 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 stay in the game. Is that he entrusts himself to the Lord. And by that trust, the good end comes about. We're gonna see Jesus do that, right? There are so many moments where if you were Jesus, you'd be like, okay, enough already. This is ridiculous. You're not listening to me, right? But Jesus stays under the suffering and trusts the Lord to provide it. What David is doing is that. Jesus will do it at a more extreme level, but David is doing that. Excellent. One more? Yeah, Lily?
1: So we we know that the fullness of God's character is revealed only as you see it in the union of man and woman, right? So is it too far, Bridge, to say that Abigail is kind of adding to the image of David as...
0: Yes. Yes. So I would say again, Abigail is the hero. This particular chapter, David's not the hero of the story. It's absolutely Abigail, and you even see Abigail saying, like she takes. As we mentioned earlier, she takes on herself the culpability of the blame for Nabal and says, "Let me, let me be the the the, the bearer of sin in this in this instance." So yes, I think you absolutely see uh, both parties playing that role. And we we'll, and we'll often see that David is cast in the role of Messiah, but very very often we'll see it, we'll see it lived out in Jonathan. We'll see it lived out in Abigail. We'll see it in these in these relationships. So yes, I would, totally would affirm that. And then one more thing that we got to go. Ready? How does the story end? And for for David in this chapter, what does he win at the end of the story? He wins a bride. Right? And I think it is not, and, and so it is with Christ. He suffers He entrusts himself to the Lord. He suffers all these things. And the result of his agony, the result of his trust in the Lord, is that he wins a bride who will be his, right? A beautiful bride. Yeah, right? That's it. Okay, all for now. Next week is whatever the next chapter is. So read ahead. Thanks. (laughs)